Hi, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all here to an interview that we're going to be doing tonight. And my guest speaker is somebody that most of you all know. It's Mo Zulawaga. He's one of our senior trainers, good friend of mine. And uh, we have him here in the room. I, I will let him do a little bit of an intro of his own background because it's too diverse for me to try to explain. So Mo, <laughs> a little bit about yourself before we get started. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, well, for those of you that don't know me, uh, I've been in the restoration industry now for a good bit over 20 years. And uh, before that, I was uh, an engineer for General Electric, for that in the military. And uh, keep going back, I guess, uh, been all over the country and, and uh, spent some time outside of the country as well, working in Central America, lived in the Caribbean. And uh, my, my, as you can tell by my name, uh, my parents are from South America, from Colombia. So I've had a chance to be kind of all over the place and work all over the place. And uh, now I'm happy to be here in Florida and call myself a Florida boy. And I plan on staying here and I don't think anybody can get me out. So and, and happy to be here with Normie as well. So life has brought me here and uh, I'm, in, I'm in a happy, happy place. Well, since you're so happy, let's talk about some serious stuff. Because we get a lot of questions um, during and after our CMA CMR class, which is one of the ones that well, you specialize in teaching. And actually, you do it in English and in Spanish, depending on the class that we're running. <clears throat> but I know that we're always getting these questions about technology and what does somebody need to start and what kind of equipment should I buy? And is there differences in moisture meters and air pumps and, blah, you know, on and on and on. I, I think the moisture meter side of it is something that we get the most questions about for people in both the remediation and the assessor side because of the type of work that they do. So I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you want to talk a little bit about moisture meters and some of the differences between them and what you do with them. Sure. Actually, that, that's a that's a great, uh, great question, Lance. Um, one of the interesting things about the class is we, we talk about uh, in several sections of the class, we talk about one of the most important decisions that we need to make as remediators is we need to make a decision as to what equipment we're going to purchase, what we're going to use. And, you know, I always push hard on the concept that you need to make the decisions based on the application and exactly what the specifications of the, the equipment are, because for an equipment to or technology to function properly, uh, the, the most important thing is that the operator must know how it works. They must understand its uh, its capabilities and most importantly its limitations. And a lot of the times we are, you know, we, we kind of just go right into using the equipment, and because somebody shows us how to use it, and we might use a a small bit of the capabilities. But one of the things that is rarely taught from person to person is really what the limitations are. Uh, so I, I tend to talk about quite a bit about that in class. When we get into the whole moisture mapping section of of the class. And uh, I, I do explain a little bit about how uh, moisture meters work and how they don't work and the things that you need to know. And that's one of the questions that I get repeatedly uh, thrown at me uh, time after time after class where somebody will call me, listen, I, I know that you spoke about this in class and it is, um, it's, uh, it's a little complicated for me to just grasp in the five minutes that, that uh, you were able to talk about it. Can you give me a little bit more? As a matter of fact, I've, I've pulled um, I do have a file here that I can that I can pull up with some pictures and moisture meters and I'm going to open up here while I talk to you in, over the next minute, which has some pictures that I've done just to have this sort of conversation with uh, with some of the students. So as I pull this up, uh, one of the things I am going to say is that 
when we go through the, the, the process of selecting equipment, it is incredibly important to know what exactly is it that we're trying to accomplish? <clears throat> what is the end goal of what we're going to do with that equipment? So in moisture meters, uh, that is, we're going to measure moisture somehow, or at least that's the concept. And one of the things that we, the first question we to ask is where are we going to measure it? You know, what kind of material are we going to measure? Um, how, how accurate do we need to be? How, how thick is that material? Um, those are all things that we need to take into consideration because not all meters are, are made the same. And Mo, have, with yeah. that, I, there was a discussion that I was involved with recently where somebody was talking about moisture meters and they all have different scales. And, and that was confusing to say, well, it's this percentage. Well, that's a different way of grading on this device compared to another device. So I don't know if you're you know, prepared to talk about that, but if you get a chance as you go through them, I want to toss some of that in. Absolutely, absolutely will do. All right, so I have this uh, I have this little file open, this Word document that I have with the images. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and share it if that's okay. Sure. So I can show some of these pictures and try to get the, the concepts across a little bit better. So let me go ahead and do that. Toss this over to the center screen. All right, so can you see the uh, the moisture meters right now, Lance? Absolutely, you're good. All right, wonderful. So, so here's some. Uh, I'm gonna start here with uh, non-penetrating meters, which actually goes right into questions you just asked, Lance, which is scales. So, not all non-penetrating meters are made the same. Not all meters are made the same. And when you when it comes to uh, these sort of meters, the first thing you do need to understand is that scale. What what are those scales telling you? So I'm going to go ahead and zoom in on this particular meter right here. This is a Tramex ME5. I use this meter uh, quite often during during assessments. Um, it is one of my favorite non-penetrating meters. I mean, I have I have numerous ones, uh, as you'll see uh, and understand why by the end of this. But one of the things that you can see right here on this meter is right up at the very top, you'll see it says wood uh, percentage moisture content. And then at the bottom, it says comparative. And the wood moisture content is a scale that's right up here at the top, and it goes from five all the way to 30, while the comparative goes all the way to 100. So let's talk just in this meter alone, uh, there are two completely different scales. So the top scale, scale where we have the wood, it'll actually tell you the percentage moisture content of the wood. You know, And there, there are, if, if you look at the manual, depending on the wood, you'd actually have to use some variances if it's a, 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 a hardwood versus a, 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 a soft wood, and they'll actually go by names, like if it's a fir or it's an oak or something like that, there'll be some uh, percentages that you would need to adjust that reading. But in uh, general terms, this is a wood moisture content scale. Down here, it's a complete relative term. So what, is, what does that mean? What does relative mean? It means that for, for it to have any meaning whatsoever, it needs to be attached to some other value. And so what we learned in, in class is that before we can go take any readings where we believe the area to be wet, we need to go to a dry section of the home and take up a reading of the same material. So if it's wood, it's gonna be of the same type of wood. If it's a uh, drywall, it'll be drywall, flooring, flooring, et cetera. So we can get what's, what's called a baseline or a dry standard. And then that's what we're going to use to compare. That's that's the relative number we're going to use. So on those different scales that you were mentioning, for example, this meter right here, as you guys can see, goes up to 100. If I was using, for example, a uh, Delmhorst Navigator, 
the new one, it, uh, it has a scale up to 300. So and as you can see, 300 is not a percentage. 300 is, is just a number. And that's because it, the sensitivity of that particular scale, uh, you need a wider range to be able to, to get the numbers that, that you want. It's a, it's a different, uh, uh, different system that it uses. <clears throat> and so, the, but the important thing, the most important thing is that you understand as a user, which is the best, uh, which is the, the form that you, the, the way that your meter works, right? What are the scales in your meter? What, what, do, what do they mean and what do they represent and how do you properly read them? How do you uh, work with your meter during different materials? As you can see in this particular meter, you have different materials, wood and timber. Do you have one that's a shallow depth? And that's because sometimes you have layered materials and you wanna just grab the top layer or, or, or you wanna stay away from a metallic background because that's one of the things we'll be talking about, some limitations of these meters and a metallic background might, might cause a limitation. Uh, drywall, plaster, masonry. So this this particular meter definitely has different uh, different scales. The important thing to understand is, except for the wood meter, those are all relative scales. Okay, those are all something you have to compare to. Uh, as you can see, this meter will tell you over here just how deep it goes, and you'll see in the wood that it does show percentage moisture, moisture content. And uh, that's what I would say. This is a great example of saying we need to grab the most simple tools that we have, which are wonderful technology, because a lot of the times we don't see these simple tools as technology because they've been around for a while and we need to understand those. You know, one of the things that you just mentioned real quick uh, was the manual. And so many people that I talk to don't even know there is a manual. Sometimes you have to go online to get it or download it. And that's one of the most important things you can have for these types of tools. You really need to understand it. I've gotten calls from numerous people that were either en route to a job or on a job site that have called me and said, how do I do this? How do I use this machine to do this? You got to know this stuff before you go out. I mean, use it in your own home, you know, learn it, use the manual. Absolutely, absolutely. Habits that we now have um, in, in the industry for or the people that have gotten used to the, uh, understanding these concepts is the the having these manuals right on your phone right so we have them on cloud storage so anytime and i and i actually reference manuals all the time when i'm in the field and, and there's a there's a particular function of the meter that i might not have used in a long time and i and i might know but i might want to refresh or just to make sure that i don't miss anything uh because as you'll see there are definitely different types of meters but having those manuals available to you at at a moment's notice is incredibly important and it's something it's a good practice that everybody should actually uh, uh, take on in, in their business and their daily use. So I want I want to show you. So this is uh, meter number one. Let me show you uh, something else. So here's some of the things that that I discuss with students when they call me with these questions. And one is is that comparative range, as you mentioned, and that comparative range can change from meter to meters. So we need to understand it. Understanding what how, how far those ranges go. Right. So as you can see, the wood moisture content go up 40 percent. And this particular meter up here went up to 30. Uh, you need to understand those because questions can come up. If you think about it, um, if somebody's looking and somebody's analyzing a, a project that you're doing and they're used to seeing one particular type of meter where their scale is considerably higher. So for example, on a non-penetrating meter, um, you, can, you can have wet be pretty high, pre 68, 98, other meters might be lower. So if they're looking, they're used to seeing their meter and they think that your number is too low, and that does, does not mean that it's that it's wet. 
um, then you need to be able to explain that and say, well, my meter works in this form and here's the scale that it works and here's what the numbers mean. And if you don't do that, if you don't understand that, it might be a difficult uh, conversation to have uh, with somebody else that do also doesn't understand your meter because they've never used it before. As you can see, the same company can have another completely different meter. This is also by Tramix. This one is really designed for concrete. And this one will have concrete moisture content, okay, and and also for drywall. So this is a very specific meter, and these meters are excellent meters to use for very specific times and different projects. So if you really want to know what's going on with a certain type of materials, you might need a a, a very specific meter to to do that. Just uh, so, like I said, you know, having a a set of meters to be able to tackle different problems that come on is very important. Just like you can see for concrete as well, I might actually want to know the actual concrete slab, how much the relative humidity is in it, how much moisture content is in it. I might need to tap into it and use a different type of meter with a different type of plug that allows me to be able to, to determine this. Because for example, once we remove floors in some of these projects, before we can reinstall the floors, we need to make sure that we've actually correctly dried that, uh, that concrete slab, because if we don't, then we're going to have issues with the new flooring when it's installed. So once again, understanding our meters, our limitations, our capabilities is important. And uh, I think, um, you know, limitations is one of those things that uh, we, we definitely need to focus with each one of our meters. Hey, Mo, you mentioned a bunch of different types of meters, and I, I know over the years I've used combo meters. What I mean by that is a, a meter that will also do relative humidity, temperature, uh moisture on surface as a pin or pinless uh how do you feel about those i've gotten mixed you know opinions from people over the years well uh sure i have a picture of one of those here i'll, I'll jump a couple of pictures just to show you whoop here we go so this one is by uh protimeter everybody pronounced that a little bit different that's how i pronounce it so if i if I pronounce it differently, forgive me. So uh, pertimeter is a multi-use multi meter. So it does have a thermal hygrometer. It has a pin moisture meter. It has a non-penetrating uh, uh, moisture meter included as well. And it's a, it's a really good meter. It's, it really is. Um, there are some drawbacks. There are some drawbacks to having a multi-use meter. One of them is obviously your meter is done and you've now lost all your meters. That's, that's one. In the past, some of these meters um, that had all the functions did not have, each function wasn't as, wasn't top notch. You'd have two of the functions that were top notch and the third one was, was okay. And I'm a big believer in having really good meters um, for certain type of projects for each one of those functions, whether it be a hygrometer. So you need to understand what application you're doing, but obviously times change, technology improves. Uh, some of these meters are really good. This is this 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 particular meter is, is really good. It comes the kit comes with all kinds of accessories to to, to measure different things, uh, to be able to tap into wood, to be able to go past these little pins over here to go past the the drywall and be able to measure and see if insulation is wet. Uh, you have multiple meters that do this, like that um, dome horse navigator that I mentioned. Also, is is a good combo meter. Um, my biggest drawback with combo meters for personally is that, uh, you know, a lot of the times they have a lot more functions that I, that I need on, on my projects. Number one and number two is if I lose that meter, I've now lost all my meters and, and um, it's, it's not something that I, I really want to face on a project. Well, that was one of the uh, things that I had seen over the years that you had just mentioned about the uh, 
the sensitivity of the meters that you give up some sensitivity when you have all these different devices combined together. You know, it's really good with one or two things, but a few of the other ones aren't as good. And of course, the other thing is if something happens, you drop the meter, you break it, you've lost everything, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and you know, the other one is they are pricey. They are pricey to have a, a, a combo meter. They're less pricey than buying really good meters of each one, mind you. But nonetheless, as to have one meter that can go bad or get dropped or, or for, for, you know, now you're talking anywhere between $1,200 to $1,500 for top, top end meters, um, you know, in the hands of a technician. <laughs> can be a problem it's if, it, if it's your personal hand and it, you're very good with your equipment you take care of it like i do um you know they'll probably last you for for a lifetime but uh we know that you know as it goes from hand to hand that level of care might change so that that also comes into play how rugged are your your meters and that's one of the things that i look for i like rugged equipment i love the equipment that i can take on a, on a construction job and it's it's going to um it's going to make it to the end of the day so that's important to me Absolutely. You know, one of the questions that comes up a lot is, uh, what should I buy, a pinned or a pinless? And I always talk to them about, well, the pinless doesn't do any damage. You know, you got to go to a different level of uh, dealing with the consumer that you're working with about having pinholes all over the place. And depending on what you're doing, if you're testing carpeting, you're not going to see like you're testing sheetrock, all these little pinholes all over the place, you know, so you got to be prepared to build back. But you know, you have a favorite either way, pinned or pinless. Well, well, my 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 particular answer to that is always I have both. I have both, and and because it also depends on application, right? Um, you you do a lot of assessments. You've done a lot of assessments here at time, and during an assessment, it is it you know, in an assessment, a lot of the times you're not looking really looking to poke holes into a drywall, um, because like you're saying, you're creating you you know you're creating uh, damage to the drywall. On another type of project, for example, a drying project and a drying project that becomes a little bit less important. You're in an emergency situation and you need documentation that's going to be easy to to uh, explain down the road, either to, an, to maybe it's an insurance claim to an adjuster, or maybe you go to court, something like that. And in that case, a pin moisture meter is definitely going to be a lot easier to explain um, and, and to because it's showing you some moisture content versus a relative reading and relative readings can be one of those things that's difficult to explain or, or people to grasp in, in a short amount of time. Um, on the other hand, uh, both are great. So one of the things things that I tend to do is I start with non non penetrating and then I'll I'll document the the edges, the far corners. So once I get to the far corners, I'll document them with a pin moisture meter. I've gotten really good at made, taking those pin moisture meters in areas where you're not going to be able to see those little holes. You know, there there's there's ways to do that. And then I'll take one in the center, so I have some serious documentation with my pin moisture meter, and then I have a little bit uh, more documentation with my with my non-penetrating. But both are incredibly important. Some of the stuff that you are going to be you are going to be uh, measuring, you're not going to be able to poke holes in either. Stuff like uh, tile, uh, you know, really nice wood. You're not going to start poking holes all over the place. Really nice wood. So they they both have a place in it, and uh, I use sometimes I use them both because, um, as I mentioned in class, I. I never trust any piece of equipment or any measurement by itself. I, I want to be able to compare it to other things and be able to say that makes sense. What I'm, what I'm seeing makes sense because like I said, 
they, they both have limitations. And one of the limitations of the non-penetrating meter, meter is that it's not really measuring moisture. It's, it, you know, it, it's using RF signals. Most of most these are using RF signals. And depending on what's behind that drywall um, or in front of the drywall, you can have readings that are that, that are incorrect for example if you have a pipe if you have if you have wood if you have um actually some some wallpapers actually have metal in them and you'll detect it higher uh pin moisture meters give you a little bit um you know a, a little bit more of a of an a, of i guess an accurate reading in those type of situations but they can also have issues where they don't go as deep because the pins on those moisture meters tend to be really really short as a matter of, as a matter of fact one of the tips that we talk about in class is if you have like a thick piece of wood like a four by four uh the proper way to measure that is to drill two stainless steel screws right into the middle of the wood two inches and then you measure with your with your moisture meter to those screws so now you have an accurate accurate measurement into that wood because the pins are, are too small so like i said they, they all this equipment has limitations and it has capabilities and we just need to understand each one in each application that we use you know it's funny one of the classes i was um watching as we were doing in our water class they talked about drilling screws into a wood floor from underneath and uh taking samples like that with with the big caution don't drill through the floor yes you know come up on the <laughs> other side you know we're a little too far there yeah. And we and, and by the way, we've we've all done that where we got a little too far. So it's just just be very, very careful. So I, I would say from what you've described here and the types of technology that's used, uh, I guess the next level to go to would be moisture mapping, you know, and, and how that's done and how this equipment plays into moisture mapping an area, you know, and, and different ways of doing it. Right. And and there are there are different ways of doing it. And that's where you know, once again, select selection of equipment depends on what you're doing, you know, depends on the level of equipment that you need. One, one of the meters that we see here is a very economical meter. You know, this is one of the things that we'll find at Home Depot for 30, 40, $60, you know, and we're putting it next to another meter that's five, $600. Um, for certain things like moisture mapping, they could be excellent tools that, you know, your meter does not have to cost, you know, $1,200 for it to be, uh, functional for your operation. One thing is very different when you're doing um, when you're doing an assessment than when you're actually doing a, dry, a drying job. They're, they both require a moisture map, but the the level of of accuracy in that in that reading is is not the same for each project. It's not the same. During an assessment, we're really looking that it's it's hitting that threshold that it is wet. In drawing, we're going to want to measure every day the actual progress, and we want to be very exact with those numbers. Um, and we want to have equipment that that um, that can read really fast readings in between each in between each re each reading, so it can adjust uh, quickly to its environment. So that's that's one of the things that is probably different from economic meters to others. Expensive meters tend to have uh, electronics in there that, are, that react a lot quicker. So, in in moisture mapping. Uh, let, me, let me, I guess I could use the same page here to talk a little bit about moisture map. I'll scroll down to the, to the bottom and then I'll get back to some of these little other tools that we get a chance to that we use in, in moisture mapping. So I'm going to explain the way that I like to do moisture mapping. This is the most common way that I'll do moisture mapping. And what, what I'll do is I'll use a little bit of a, a little bit of drawing. So forgive me, I'm not an artist. And I'll just try to explain uh, to you graphically exactly the way 
that I would do it. So if I had, for example, this, so if I had a wall that kind of looked like this, we'll call this wall right here, wall A, wall B, and wall C, and I would actually label them. So let's go ahead and do that. I'll do this really quick so it won't take too much time. I'll do a top bound, a top, top bottom view. So you can actually see it from the top and you can see the three walls. And then for each one of these walls, what I'll end up doing is I'll draw a separate wall. So this would be wall A. Wall B. Move the filter, please. Okay. Let's make it look like this. For those of you watching, I think he is having fun doing this. I am having fun doing this. this I love doing this kind of stuff. So this would be the areas that, for example, we would, uh, in wall A, I'm a wall B, and if this continued all the way to wall C, I would do it, but I just doing it for, so we don't spend too much time uh, drawing here. And the other thing that I would do to make it a little bit easier for everybody that comes down the road is I would do something like this. I would actually have a piece of blue tape across that wall. And about every 16 inches, I would put a, a vertical line. And so that would be the first section would be A1, A2, A3 across that blue tape on that wall. So, and I hope I'm explaining myself correctly. If for some reason I, I lose you, please let me know. And below each one of those sections, every 16 to 20 inches, I would take a moisture measurement as to exactly moisture content on that wall or the reading, depending on what type of uh, uh, meter I'm using and the height that it went to. And I would, and I would document it around that blue tape. So on A1, open day one, it would be the moisture content and and the actual reading, and I would do the same thing on day two. And what this does, it actually shows the, the sketch of the property. So if I had a whole property that was that was wet, I would probably, it wouldn't be these three lines, it would be the actual sketch of the whole property. And for each wall would have a, a, a front facing um, picture, which shows me exactly how it was wet as, as I found it and as I measured it. And you could write right here and take pictures as well. And on my sketchbook, I would actually write on the picture what the moisture content was. 
uh, at that time. So that's one of the ways that I would do a, a moisture mapping. You can simplify this. You don't have to go as in-depth as, as, as I go sometimes. And sometimes I, I keep it very simple. Uh, one of the things that you can do is, uh, depending on your application, uh, as an assessor, you can actually use the blue tape to go ahead and outline your moisture map area. And I do this quite a bit, for example, on ceilings, when I have a, a patch of a ceiling that is wet, I will go ahead and outline it and I will lay in, and sometimes I'll mark it right on the blue tape exactly what, you know, what I saw. And what that does is for anybody that comes after me, whether it's, it's a remediator, it's an adjuster, it's uh, home, anybody, they can really quickly see the areas that, uh, that, that I found uh, to be wet. So I'll, I'll actually moisture map it with my tape, document it with pictures. If I'm able to, I'll do what you see here, which is a graph or a sketch of exactly the area from two different angles and the whole concept everything that i do regarding regarding this and I, the reason i take a little bit extra time is i always ask myself is if i was in court in front of a judge and the judge had nothing to do with the restoration industry how can i easily explain to him or show him exactly what was going on here and that's the that's always the basis that i take on my approach of either writing a report or or doing a sketch or trying to explain something because the reality is that we're not always going to be talking to people who completely understand restoration, who completely understand uh, mold assessment, indoor air quality, any of these issues. Uh, and, and so it all ties together from understanding how your equipment works, selecting that equipment, using it properly, being able to explain it, and then documenting the results into a, something like a moisture map. Uh, it all comes from basic thing is we need to understand why we do the things that we do and how our equipment works. Very well, simple. You know, looking at what you're, you're doing here, I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense and hopefully everybody that's watching understands this too, but it also looks like a very labor intensive process. Uh, I know there's other devices out there. I mean, I've used thermal imaging and stuff like that that work hand in hand with moisture meters. So how, how would you draw the, the differences or comparisons to using that additional device in, in conjunction to a moisture meter? Okay, that's that's a great question. Well, one of those devices, I actually have a picture of it right here, which is this uh, hydro sensor. Then this is, what this is, it's not a moisture meter, it's a moisture sensor. So uh, right over here in the tip, you'll actually get two, two little um, uh, spikes. And once you put it into a, 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 a something that is wet, it will, it's gonna beep. So it's gonna let you know, hey, this, this is wet. Obviously, I, once I find something wet, I'm going to confirm it with a, with a moisture meter. But this is a really easy way to be able to do a, a moisture map, for example, on a large area that has carpet and all the carpet is wet. So you don't have to bend over. This is originally the original intention of this product was to be able to do that, to be able to walk around and, you know, be able to then uh, do your moisture map on carpet. But it has great, great uh, other options. For example, when we find cabinets, you know, and the, the toe kick is removed on that cabinet, how do we reach all the way in the back behind that cabinet to see if that drywall or whatever materials back there is dry? And well, my hand, I can tell you right for now, my hand won't fit. So this tool allows me to just go right under there, reach all the way to the back and do moisture testing across the back wall and see if any of those areas appear to be wet. Also, in uh, they're great for HVAC closets and little spaces in between the air handler and the, and the drywall. Normally, you have three to four inches. And once again, I can't reach, but many, many times I find the moisture with this with this tool allows me to reach high places as well. Uh, ceilings and anything like that without really having to get up on a ladder. Or if it's a high ceiling, I don't get have to get up on a really high ladder because I have a little bit of uh, more reach. Uh, 
to, to this tool. So it's a wonderful, wonderful tool that I think everybody should use. Uh, saves my my back and it saves me a lot of time. I use it. I use it quite often. The other one that you mentioned is thermal imaging. So thermal imaging is a wonderful tool, probably one of the best tools that that we have for efficiency in in the in our industry and for breaking the ice with the customer. Uh, but once again, for you to be able to use it um, properly, you need to really understand how it works. So one of the first things I always say is get certified, understand what it does and what it doesn't do, and always, always, always question what it's showing you. So um, a thermal imaging camera, we all know, can give us uh, false positives in any dark area. It's probably is going to be dark because it's cold, not necessarily because it's wet. It's definitely going to be colder than its surrounding areas, okay? But it does not mean that it's wet. But you can also get false negatives, and that's what one of my biggest concerns all the time with infrared imaging. Um, you can get false negatives uh, because for you to be able to see it, a anything on that camera, there needs to be temperature differentials within that the material that you're observing through 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 the lens. And that's not always the case. For that material to be able to show a differential, wherever it's wet, that liquid needs to be evaporating. That's actually how thermal cameras capture that something is colder because it's wet, is because when, when you have a surface and that surface is wet, I'm gonna pretend we have a wall here. As those water molecules evaporate, they're taking energy with them into the air. That means they're leaving the surface of the material cooler because energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred. And that water molecule, as it leaves the surface and it goes floating into the air, means that all that energy is up here. You have less energy here. And less energy means less heat, less temperature. So that's what the, 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 the infrared cameras is capturing. But if that's not happening because environmental conditions, because you have some sort of material or paint that does not allow that wall to, to evaporate, it's not gonna show you anything. And that whole entire wall might be soaked. It's happened to everybody. It's happened to me where I've said, well, you know, this is dry. And I said, well, you know, let me go check, you know, with my other, other meters anyway. And sure enough, and then you learn, I always have to check with moisture meters. I cannot trust the infrared camera by itself. I rarely trust any single piece of equipment by itself. I always want it back up to give me a confirmation and saying, hey, yeah, you, what you're seeing is truly what you think it is. Well, you know, part of every certification course I've ever taken or seen for thermal imaging always goes back to document it with another device, usually a moisture sure. meter. And that's your confirmation. You're not seeing moisture, you're seeing an anomaly or an exception to what's normal. And the other electronic devices, what confirms what you're seeing. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, having said that, if the area that you're scanning with your uh, thermal imaging camera does show up on your thermal imaging camera, it is a great way to moisture map, right? Because now you can see the entire wall you can document it with pictures. It's showing you the area that's wet. You can do a couple of, you, you can do follow-up uh, moisture meter readings that you can document, which I also, by the way, not only do I document it with my regular camera, I document it with my infrared camera because I like to show that that meter was exactly where the dark area was. So there's no question or doubt as to exactly where we took that measurement. And it, so it is a wonderful, wonderful tool. I, I don't leave home without it, absolutely. You know, some of the uh, newer equipment now, thermal imaging, even the lesser expensive ones do uh, image over image photography, which is they're showing you an infrared image with the regular digital image over on top of it. So you get to see the outline or the structure of what you're looking at 
plus the thermal patterns on the wall. So it, it really creates a very good uh, description for anybody looking at us to what's going on in that environment after you've obviously also documented it with moisture meter. Absolutely, absolutely. As a matter of fact, nowadays, I, it, to me, it's the only way to go. Uh, dual camera, so you're taking a regular picture and an infrared picture right next to it. So when your report comes out, that's exactly what you see. You see the the, the regular picture, and right next to you, you see the infrared. It makes it a lot easier, once again, to explain to somebody that doesn't know anything about infrared cameras. So uh, I'd rather spend a little bit extra on, on, on you know, better resolution and be able to have that dual camera. And nowadays, like you said, even some of the economic cameras are coming up with, are, are, do have that function. And it's a function that to me is a, it's absolute must. So we've gone from the basic moisture meter to the advanced moisture meter, to the hydro uh, sensor, to the thermal imaging cameras. For somebody new starting out in the business, you know, a piece of equipment to start with. You don't go out and spend $50,000 on a thermal imaging camera. Right. Where do you start? Especially when you want to start dealing with moisture in your assessment or your remediation projects. That's a, that's a wonderful question. On, you know, on an assessment project, you know, you're, you're, you have so much more flexibility per se on, on, on equipment uh, because you're looking for different things that necessarily you would be on, on a drying project. Uh, you're still looking and want to make sure that stuff is wet or dry. You want to do that comparison. So you, you do have a wide range when it comes to uh, non-penetrating and penetrating. So you can start with a less economical meter. The key, once again, is find out how it functions and read the reviews and watch the videos online for that manufacturing. You should do that for number of meters within your price range to find the one that is um, highly recommended and that actually does the job that you're looking to do. Some other ones, it's a different story. Uh, for example, if you see on your screen right now, this is a uh, hygrometer. So you have non-penetrating meters, you have penetrating meters, you have moisture sensors. Uh, now another way to measure, to measure uh, moisture is moisture in the air, which is where we would use a hygrometer. And on hygrometers, once again, an assessment, it could be, you know, a little bit more flexible because what you're looking for is you're looking for a couple of readings during your assessment pro project in, a, in a, um, uh, a lot of the hygrometers out there will do that. If you're in a drying project, for example, there's very, very few hygrometers that can uh, stack up to the requirements of a drying project. This is, for example, one that would. This is a uh, one that I like quite a bit. It's um, It says Phoenix, but I believe now the manufacturer is Vaisala. And what uh, the, the differences are, for example, this. This, this uh, hygrometer, I can put in front of a dehumidifier, which has extreme temperature and, and, and moisture readings and low moisture readings, and pull it away and get very accurate readings right away in another location. Uh, other hygrometers, less expensive hygrometers, you're going to have to wait a number of minutes to be able to get an accurate reading per location. So uh, hygrometers tend to be one of those things that uh, the better you, you get, the, the better it's going to be for you for uh, efficiency, because you don't have to wait all that time for the sensor to be able to adjust. Uh, better sensors also tend to uh, last longer before they, they, they become uncalibrated. Um, so those are things, the, the newer hygrometers that are high end, you can also change the sensors, you can buy just a new sensor and put it in. Um, so depending on the piece of equipment that we're talking about is depending more on my guidance. So uh, as to uh, penetrating and non-penetrating meters for assessment and an infrared camera, I might say, listen, here's some baseline products 
that I that uh, I think were great. I highly recommend. For example, Fleur makes a I think it's the MR40, which is a, a penetrating moisture meter. It's a pen. It looks like a pen. It has a little flashlight on the other side. Um, and I think it's 60, 70, 80 dollars. It's really inexpensive. And I think it's a wonderful moisture meter for, for assessments. Wonderful moisture meter, especially because it is so light that I can stick it pretty much anywhere on a wall, on a ceiling, and it will stick and keep my reading, which means that I can document the picture with pictures a lot easier. I don't have to have my hand up, especially if I'm on a ladder or anything like that, it becomes dangerous. I don't have to have hold it sticking to the wall and taking the picture. I can just stick it to the, to the ceiling or to the wall, take a step back, take a picture, take a picture up close, take a picture from far away, and it does a wonderful job. With a hygrometer, I would say definitely do your homework, get a little higher end, uh, make your life a lot easier. And uh, in, in, uh, on a thermal imaging camera, the, um, one of the economic ones now is the, C, the, the C4 or C5 from FLIR. Those do a, a wonderful job. They do have their limitations. One of the things that I don't like about it is that the battery is not external. It's an internal battery. So once that battery starts, starts degrading, basically your infrared camera starts degrading because keeping it charged does become a headache. You have to have it connected all the time, uh, but that happens over time. That doesn't happen immediately. Um, the higher end cameras, like for example, the E-series, the E6, E8, I really like those cameras. Uh, they have you know, batteries you can swap in and out. So it's a lot easier to always have a piece of equipment that's functioning. You can have multiple batteries. They do have the drawback of a higher cost. You're probably looking two, $3,000 for those cameras versus five six hundred dollars for a c a c5 at this time very cool well we have a few minutes left um i don't even know where to start to say would you want to sum up what we've talked about other than come take the cma cmr class you know or one of the advanced classes but you know how would you sum up tonight at least for the folks watching actually you know i have i have a pretty easy way to sum this up okay which is what we talk exactly in, in our classes is when you make a decision to move forward into an application to say assessment or, or, or drying, if that's what you do, um, know what your application is, know what you need, and then go study the equipment that's out there and choose your equipment based on that need, not on pricing, okay? Not on, Bobby told me this is a really you know good piece of equipment, they have it on sale at, at, at John Don or at Ramsworth or wherever it is. Um, just do your homework, do your homework, read the manuals, understand what it is that you're doing, understand how your equipment works, and most importantly, understand why you're doing it. What's the purpose of you using each piece of equipment so then you can properly document that purpose and properly express that, that purpose through your documentation to somebody that has absolutely no clue what it is that our industry is about. That is the, you know, if you take the whole entire idea, that is the basic idea of what we do really complicated uh, things and make it less complicated, make them simple. So somebody that doesn't know what we're talking about can learn it in a quick and efficient manner. And the way to do that is you need to understand every step of the way and most importantly, understand how to properly use your equipment. Well, thank you, Mo. Uh, actually, I'll ask you to stop sharing your screen for a moment so people can see who you yes, really are. Absolutely. <laughs> Let me go ahead and do that. All right, there he is. Well, I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I think we're going to have to do this again and maybe pick another type of equipment, maybe air pumps or 
Matterport or some other equipment that I know that you use and you're familiar with and uh, do some more segments on this. Absolutely. Sounds good. So thank you for your time. And uh, we look forward to possibly another segment in the near future. Hey, thank you for having me. Have a wonderful night. You too.